Welcome to another episode of the Carboline Tech Service Podcast. I'm Jack Walker. I'm a tech service engineer, well, a senior tech service engineer. And with me, as always, is the director of tech service, Paula Jamis. How's it going, sir? It's going great, Jack. I'm excited about this episode today. So here's our warning. We get deep into the woods in science. Hang with us. We explain it pretty well, we like to think. And we use some good analogies that I think everybody's going to be able to relate to and understand. So go ahead, get a hold of us. We can be reached at Jack underscore CTSP, and I'm at Paul underscore CTSP. And we still have our email address as technical service at carboline.com. Now we're going to get into our second part of our tank lining series about the chemistry of the lining. We've brought in Dr. Absolutely, Mr. Chris Finoli, Dr. Chris Finoli, Mr. Chris Finoli, PhD, however the heck you say that. His doctorate is actually in organic chemistry with a specialization in polymers and coatings. That would be correct. I didn't even know that was a thing. Did you know that was a thing? You know, I've, I've been, I went to school for a long time and they'll give people a PhD in just about anything if you spend enough time doing it. I mean, it. is there like a special place in the nerddom kingdom where you're like, I want to learn about paint. If you pile it high and deep enough, you can get a specialization doctrine in anything you want. All right, Jack. So really what we're going to talk about today is the major types of epoxies that we use for tank linings. We're going to talk specifically, there's, you know, bisphenol A and bisphenol F resins, Novolax, vinyl esters. More commonly, these bis A and bis F epoxy coatings are kind of more generically known as, you know, polyamides and cycloaliphatics and phenalkamines. And they're partially described by the resin that they start with and the curing agent that we use to cure them with. So we're going to use Chris to help us dive a little more deeply into some of those to help us break out why we would be choosing some and how they work or don't work for different scenarios. So the most common one that we probably see in tank linings is is what we call a Biz-A epoxy. Yeah, just a straight-A Biz-A epoxy. It's probably the most common resin, uh, bar none, in any epoxy-type coating system. Uh, Linings, it's used a tremendous amount. And really, it's just a good general purpose resin, right? It's going to give you all the things that you think about in an epoxy. It's going to be corrosion resistant. You'll have some good chemical resistance. Okay, solvent and water resistance, but nothing really special. Uh, The things that it doesn't really do well is weatherability, right? So you're never going to see these things put out in the sun where they're getting lots of weatherability. It's mainly for corrosion protection of your assets. Bizet is basically the the primary one that we use with everything. And traditionally, from from a specifier standpoint, we'll frequently look at, if you need a little bit more chemical resistance, we'll frequently look at the Bizet. What's the primary difference we'd be looking at between an A and an F when we're looking at these other other than the grades that I think a lot of us say your parents are mad or they're happy. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the big difference. <laughs> well, the bis F, it's a lot thinner, number one. Okay, so you have a lot lower viscosity in your bis F, which means you can get a lot further cure into the system. Okay. And as you know, as you get thick and you get viscous, you start slowing down your cure. Another nice thing about BISF is because of that thin viscosity, you can get 2.1 to 2.2 functional. And what we mean by functional is how many of reactive sites on the molecule you get. Because BIS-A is a little thicker, it's usually around 1.8 to 2. So it's got a little bit lower functionality. So now you get a little bit more functionality, 
you get a thinner system that can go farther, and this is going to help bring in a little more chemical resistance into your equation. A good analogy would be a chain link fence. And because there's a lot of those octagonal or hexagonal shapes that are in there, there's some holes in them. And when we're talking about functional sites, we're talking about how many locations on this enormously long chain, how many locations will it react to be able to tighten up and cure in the final form. What we call this is it has more cross-linking, which means it's able to hold its position and other things. And the whole goal that we're trying to do with this is trying to make the holes in the fence smaller. So if you have more reaction sites, you're basically like if you took a square yard of chain link fence and then you took like a square yard of chicken wire and you look at that in the same square yard you're going to have a lot more places where that wire intersects in the chicken wire than you do in that chain link fence so that would be a more functional fence well you have more cross-linking density is yeah. a nice way of saying that and and so that's exactly what you're looking at you want to look at how long your molecules are because those are going to give you your rectangular dimensions of your chain link fence and then you're going to look at how many sites you have to react into. And that's going to tell you whether you're a 2-2 functional, a 3-2 functional, a 4-2 functional, etc. The more reaction sites and the smaller the molecules are, the more to that chicken wire you're going to get. And so if you remember from last week's episode, we talked about the osmosis process and how coatings are permeable. And we're trying to control the amount of your chemical that's going through the coatings. So if we were to look at, let's say... A tank full of of tennis balls being held in by a chain link fence. If it's a big enough chain link fence, those tennis balls are going to fall right out. But if we take and we use it in a chicken wire fence where we've gone down from a couple of inches down to maybe an inch or less, you're going to get very few tennis balls are actually going to push their way out. So that's what we're trying to do is we don't always have the same size. So that tank may be full of tennis balls, golf balls, marbles, and they're all going to be going at a different rate through this fence. And so by having more functional groups, we can have some of them at two inch holes, some of them at one inch holes, some of them will probably be, you know, dime size holes, and we're going to be down to a quarter of an inch or so. Now, keep in mind too, we've made this massively larger than it really is. We're talking about atomic scale stuff when we're really doing this, but we've blown it up to this proportion so that we can be able to describe it in, in common terms that everybody can catch. So then if if biz A's are like your chain link fence and biz F's are kind of like a chicken wire for our crudimentary explanation right now, does that mean our Novolax are like your fishing net? Well, I would say that if you're looking at just like, let's say a standard chain link fence, I would say that's probably your your A's, right? If you go down in between this really fine chicken wire mm -hmm. versus a chain link fence, that's kind of where BISEF sits. It kind of sits in the middle. It's a little bit tighter in BIS A, but not much. Okay. The Novolax, that's where you really get your chicken wire. Okay. Because those guys can go up to four functional, all aromatic systems. They really pack in tight and hard, and that's where you're going to get a really tight-knit system. And the way that you make the Novolac, they're stacked in pretty tight, so they are a little bit smaller than the bis -A's as far as distance between molecules. But then you can pack in four of them where you have four different reaction sites versus only two reaction sites on your bis -A. So now you've doubled your functional group sites. Now what this does is you can imagine your corrosion your chemical resistance, your solvent resistance, all these things are now going to go up tremendously. And this is what you want. This is when you get into the hardcore tank linings. 
this is where you want to be. You want to be with the Novalax. And keeping in mind that as we talk about it being a fence, a fence is just one layer. But when we're talking about a paint film, we're talking about, you know, really honestly at a microscopic layer, millions of layers of fences. So it's not like it's just one layer. That's why, you know, we talk about it in thousandths of an inch. So we're talking about 10, 20, 30, 40 mils of coating on there. And so it's thousands of layers of chain link fence on top of each other. Well, and those are the, the main resin systems that we look at with their different functionality for tank linings. But equally as important for the coating system is the reactant or the amine that is typically used with those. Right. We need to talk about the curative, the curing agent that, that reacts with it. That is the second big part to the epoxy. Absolutely. We have a whole bunch of different types of amines that we can use. We have polyamides. We have cycloaliphatic amines. We have phenalkamines, we have aromatic amines, and each one of them is different. And they each give you different properties. So, Paul, if you were using a polyamide, what would you kind of think of or some good ways that, you know, good spots for polyamide? Where, where do they do well when it comes to line? Usually we look at water services. That's the primary feature that we use them for. They've got good moisture resistance. They're fairly quick curing. That's usually the, the position that we use them in. And they're relatively a thin film application, so it makes it very user-friendly. There you go. So if you look at how you get a polyamide, a lot of times you're going to take a long-chain fatty acid and you're going to react it with an amine on both sides. So that generates your amide in the center with your amines on the outside. And so you can imagine this molecule being pretty flexible, right? It's going to have good reactivity, good corrosion resistance, really good blush usually. Usually they got good recoats. So for primers and for water immersion, if you're going to do primers, they usually work really, really well. And so that's a polyamide. And you can see how the structure kind of works into their strengths and some of the things that they bring to the table when you talk about tank lining. So polyamides are just one of the different amine curative agents that we use. Uh, we also use phenalkamines. They're usually good for damp and cold weather. Why, why is that? So if you look at the structure, basically you take a phenol and you react it in and you put an amine down on the end of it. So one of the things that we like to use when we design tank linings is nonophenol. What nonophenol does is it's an accelerator, right? It helps accelerate a reaction. Well, the phenalkamines are, as I like to call them, the manic bases or the manic amines. They have their own built-in nonophenol almost in them, right? So this helps really kick the reaction when you do the epoxy amine reaction. That's why they're so good with concrete. They have great adhesion to steel. They have very quick curing times. They get very hot. They have huge exotherms. So you, you don't have to worry about blush with these systems. But the things that they're not good at would be yellowing and weatherability. So that's where they're the poor. So usually when you use the phenalkamines, you want a place where it's cold and damp in these type of really hard environments that you think you need a really good cure that you don't get out of other means. So the fact that they kind of have two kickers in them makes them really good and the, the amount of exotherm they have helps them to dis to displace the moisture when they're actually being put onto you know damp sub substrates or less than less than ideal application conditions. That is correct, Paul. And probably the most used amine in the whole tank lining industry would be the cycloaliphatic amine. Yeah, the cycloaliphatics have a, a really a, a soft spot in my heart, and I, I really love them. I like to use them a lot. And so with the cycloaliphatics, you can just imagine a very alkyl-heavy type molecule, right? Very hydrophobic. So these are going to have good water resistance. There's not a whole lot of intersections or other molecules that can be broken up where if you look at a polyamide, right? The amide bond isn't super strong. 
The Cyclile effects, they don't have this problem, so they're going to have better chemical resistance. They're going to have better solvent resistance. Most of these molecules are pretty small, so they're going to react really hard and really tight, so you're going to get a really nice chicken wire type fence. They pair great with the Novolax. So these are going to be some of the type of amines that you would think about in really your strongest, most aggressive tank lining environments. What you were referring to is, is the strength of bond. That really is one of the critical factors that makes it a difference between is this good in a water service or is it in a solvent service or is it in a crude oil or hydrocarbon type thing is how tightly it can hold itself together under external stresses. Is that a, is that a good understanding? Yeah, we could we could think about it like that. Just for the just for common knowledge and just thinking about it. Yeah, each different bonds, they are more susceptible some bonds to let's say acid or to base. That's why when you're looking at your choices, you want to choose certain amine epoxy combinations that are going to be able to be resistant to those types of cleavages in their bonds in those systems. Well, and I think that's one of the things that people need to think about when we talked last time about all the information that we need to know before we can make a good recommendation, because you're really looking at, you know, we're taking it down to the atomic level here for our coating resistance. We, you know, the size of the molecule of the commodity is very important when it comes to whether or not the coating is going to work. I think one of the last amines that are widely used in the tank lining industry is the aromatic amines. And uh, looks like we kind of go there for acid resistance. Yeah, that's that's where they really shine. Um, it's a very tight molecule. You get a lot of pi pi stacking between the aromatic rings. They don't allow anything to really come in and break them apart. So if you're looking at any kind of high acid services, this is where this amine really comes into play. Similar to the epoxies, we have our baked phenolics, but the baked phenolics, you know, they generate that chemical reaction by using heat instead of reacting it with an amine. That's absolutely correct, Jack. So, so what you do is you start out with a phenol and a, and a formaldehyde and you cook it to generate the methylene bridges in between the aromatic phenols. Very similar to what you would have in a Novolac structure almost. So when you look at their chemical resistance, they're going to be monsters. They're going to have terrific chemical resistance across the board. That leaves us with the unmentioned vinyl esters. So when you look at your vinyl ester, you have an epoxy or you can have a Novolac vinyl ester. So your internal core is either going to be Bis-A, Bis-F, or a Novolac. Okay? Now you're going to pair that and you're going to couple that to a carboxylic acid that has a vinyl ester reactivity on the end. And so that's really how you're going to build the properties of your overall system is by which epoxy you choose and which carboxylic acid that you couple to that epoxy. Now when you look at the reaction, the epoxy amine reactions, okay, they're what we call step growth. So they go molecule by molecule, molecule by molecule, and you have to get a really high conversion a really high molecular weight cross-link polymer. So you need to push those all the way to the end. The vinyl esters are what we call chain growth, and they are cured through a radical type mechanism. And so what that does is that generates very, very high molecular weight polymers that are cross-linked very tremendously, very quickly. So you get basically two different curves. You get a really slow, long buildup curve, which is your step growth, and then you get this really quick buildup of properties with the vinyl ester. So we get step growth like a Pac-Man game 
and chain and radical growth is more like a pinball game. And that's a nice way to look at it, Paul. You grow the molecule, chomp, 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 bit by bit in the epoxy amine. Whereas a vinyl ester, it's like the ping, it's like the uh, like a pinball. pinball game. It's almost like an explosion. It's like boom, and now you start generate high molecular weight polymers really, really fast. Hence, what kind of chemical resistance? Do the epoxy vinyl esters have? It's usually high acid contents. Mineral acids are one. Organic acids, those things that that have a tendency to eat organics. Basically, they'll eat anything that we've just talked about, like it's their job, except for the vinyl esters. Yep. And that's because you can generate those really high functional molecular structures very, very quickly. And, and that's what just makes the vinyl ester one of your kind of go-tos if nothing else works. Basically, all that gobbledygook means that when we look at our commodities, the molecules in those commodities are certain sizes. When we come up with our coating lining selection, we try to come up with the best fence pairing to handle whatever ball you throw at it. That's an excellent analogy, Jack. Well, thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Carboline Tech Service Podcast. If you're still awake at this point, we really thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Monday.